Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Next Sunday, next Sunday we'll have a guest speaker. Many of you know Dr. Alan Tennyson. Alan is a friend of the church. Alan and his wife Rhonda attend here. Alan is a highly respected national theologian. And here's what I love about Alan. Alan explains things from the scripture so that the rest of us understand it. He's the nerdiest, smartest guy I know. And he just says things and you're like, I actually got that. Yes, that was helpful. Thank you. And so he'll be here next week. It's a treat. You're going to love it. He's continuing our series. Today we're going to talk uh, uh, further on our series we've been doing, The Bible Says, What the Bible Says. And we talked about a number of things. Just what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? When we finish this series in two weeks, we'll do next week with Dr. Tennyson. I'm just preparing you in advance. The last week will be something that none of you struggle with, I know. But we're going to do it anyway. It's what the Bible says about forgiveness. And what is forgiveness? What isn't forgiveness? How do we go about forgiveness? And I'm actually hoping that it's going to be a really healing day in the church. Healing day for you, healing day for me. Uh, just so you know, this is one that I'm not talking to you. I'll actually be talking to myself and processing it out loud for the whole room to hear. Uh, I, I struggle. It's something that I really struggle with. So we're going to talk about that on the last week. Luke chapter 16 in your Bibles. Flip to Luke chapter 16. and We'll get started today. Uh, Luke chapter 16 will continue in this very same series. And I'm going to start in verse 1 of Luke chapter 16. And so if you have that in your Bibles, would you just stand to your feet for me? And if you're a guest or visitor, you just need to know this. We, we won't continue to go up and down all morning, okay? But when we read from the Scripture, we stand. And the reason we stand is it signifies to us that this is God speaking to us today, 2022. I firmly believe God has a word for you today from his Scripture and uh, so we just want to remind ourselves, this is God speaking. Verse 1, it says this. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There's a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came uh, that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're about to be fired. Verse 3, the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Oh, I know. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Verse 5, so he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe my boss? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer, he asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Verse 9, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then, when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you to an eternal home. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that your word is truth. And thank you that it speaks into our life. Father God, thank you that your word gives life. And uh, so here's what we're asking, Father. We're asking just out of your grace 
that you would now allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us and that you would reveal more to us about you. Teach us, God, the truth that you want us to know and to know about you today. Do it in a way that brings honor and glory to your name and then draws us to you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You guys can have a seat. And so uh, uh, let, me, let me just start with this. First of all, how many of you know, man, perspective is everything. Perspective is everything. And I'll, and I'll just give you a couple quick examples, right? The way you look at things. Which one is it? Well, it depends on how you look at it. What's, what's your perspective? Right? Give me another quick one. I always like this one. Right? Because perspective is everything. It's everything. And so remember this, that it, it's where you're looking from. And so let me point out a couple truths to you then. One, the way you look at things determines how you see things. The way you look at it determines how you see things. But even more so than that is how you see things then determines how you live. It's how you look at things. It all starts with how you look at things. How are you looking? Because the end result is it, it affects, it impacts, it determines how we live. And so the question is this, if it all starts with how you look at things, my question is this, how do you look at money? How do you look at money? This morning we're gonna talk about money. Those of you who invited a friend to church, turn to your friend and say, I apologize for bringing you on a Sunday where we're talking about money. And some of you walk in and you go, of course you're talking about money. That's all the church wants. They just want my money. I get it. I get it. Don't sweat it. Let me point out a couple things to you before we start looking at the scripture. Number one, just know this. Jesus talked more about money than heaven. That's very interesting to me. Jesus talked a lot about money. And he talked far more about money than he talked about heaven. Secondly, though, I would tell you this. Ouch. Jesus was never after your money. Unlike a lot of pastors, Jesus wasn't after your money. Now, be very clear about this. He was after something, but it wasn't your money. I'd also tell you this, that money can't add meaning to your life. It's just not the meaning of life. It can certainly add meaning. It's just not the meaning of life. And lastly, I would tell you this, money is a means and not an end. And we're going to see that this morning. Money is a means and it's not an end. So we're going to look at this passage. Look at verse 1, Luke chapter 16. It starts out this way. Jesus told this story to his disciples. Now, understand whenever we say the word disciples, you know that Jesus had hundreds of disciples. We forget that. There were hundreds of people who were following Jesus at that time. Hundreds of disciples. Uh, and in chapter 15, right before this, in chapter 15, he was speaking to the disciples. And in that context, it meant a lot of it, it meant the hundreds. But in this context, now we get to chapter 16, and we think he was just talking to his 12, the people that he really poured his life into. Because he could only have, you, you, we only have really impact with a small group, which by the way, did everybody hear that? Did you just get that? You only have impact into a small group? You understand what I'm saying? That's a plug for life groups. If you ain't in a life group, get in a life group. That's where the real ministry happens. I was just talking to Donnie. I don't know where you're at, brother. We were talking about that on the way in. We get together and we all worship, but the church really happens here, right, in these smaller groups. And so Jesus is telling this story to his disciples. Know this, Jesus is the master storyteller. He's the master storyteller, and he's going to tell them this great story. Now, some of you know this about me already. Some of you are newer, and you don't know this. Um, I've never written a gospel. I don't know if you know that. So... I just want to clear the air. But if I did write a gospel, 
And if I was writing this gospel, Neil chapter 16, verse 1 would actually say this. Jesus told this story to disciples, and just so everybody knows, this is the weirdest and most perplexing story I ever heard Jesus tell. I would have put that in the gospel of Neil. I would want everybody to know that. I would want you to know that as we read this. It's the most perplexing parable story that Jesus ever told, and it takes a lot of examination. And when we examine it, there's great truth in it, but just be aware of that. This is a weird one. This is just odd, it's hard to understand. So we know that Jesus told this story to his disciples and he starts it like this. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his money. We got two characters, two main characters, the rich man and we got a guy who handles his, his affairs, the manager. This rich guy, think about this, is so rich that he just has a guy handling his stuff. That'd be awesome. He just, this guy just takes care of all his business for him. He goes on, he says, one day a report came, came to the rich man that the manager was wasting his employer's money. We don't know what that means. We don't know, was he embezzling? Was he just spending it crazy? Was he just irresponsible? Doesn't matter. What we know is he was wasting his money. The report comes to the rich man that the manager is wasting his money. Jesus continues, so the employer, the rich guy, calls him in and says, what's this I hear about you? Get your report. What is this? Are you cheating me? Are you embezzling? Are you wasting? Are you just irresponsible? I'll tell you what. Get your report in order. Why? Because you're going to be fired. Now, a couple things to notice here. You're going to be, and this is very important in the context of this story. You're going to be. You're not fired right now. You're going to be. In the future, you will be fired. In the future, you won't have a job here. Work me. In the future, you're going to have to figure it out because you'll, you'll not be here anymore. It's very important. And so because of that, he wants him to get your report in order. Take stock. I want my books in order. I want to know what's going on. I want to know where everything is. You need to know where everything is because you need to have the report so that I can know where everything is. Get your report in order because in the future, you're not going to be working here anymore. Well, this guy thinks to himself, now what? Right? My boss has fired me, and I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I'm not going to have a job. I don't know how I'm going to take care of myself. I, I can't dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. And then he has an idea. Ah, he says, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired, in the future. In, in after this, after this time, this guy is thinking ahead and he's setting himself up for the future, for when he's no longer there. That's what he's thinking. So now here's his plan. He invites each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. Remember, Jesus is telling the story. So what Jesus wants you to get the picture of and what he wants you to think in your head is each person down the list. Like there are a whole ton of people that owe this guy's boss money. Each one of them. There's a whole lot of them and he's going to go through each one of them. That's what, that's what Jesus wants you thinking. And so he goes to the first guy. And to the first guy he says, how much do you owe? How much do you owe my boss? What are you in debt for? How much do you owe him? And the guy answers and he says, well, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. 800. And the manager tells him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400. 800 to 400. You think about this guy who owed 800 gallons and all of a sudden he's thinking to himself, am I at Kohl's? Is this Kohl's? Is there gonna be some Kohl's cash that comes with this? You just slashed my price, 800 gallons to 400 gallons. Delio, I like this. And he says, do it quickly. In other words, do it quickly before I 
am actually fired, before I run out of time, before it's too late for me. That's what he's saying. Go and do this quickly. Hurry up right now. This, I don't know how long I have, right? Well, then he goes to the next guy and to the next man he asks, he says, how much do you owe my employer? And he says, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, right? Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. You owed him a thousand, boom, we'll just slash that. We're cutting 200 off the top. You only owe now 800 bushels. Okay, pretty good. So, so Jesus' audience, his disciples, and, and just think about this. He's talking to the 12 now when we say disciples. We said that. But there are other people who'd always gather around and they're listening. And everybody's kind of leaning this way. And everybody's got to be thinking to themselves, yeah, but what's the boss going to say? Like, aren't you kind of thinking that? Like, this guy's out cutting deals. He's handing out Kohl's cash and everybody else is like, what's the boss going to say? Like, right? Ah, Jesus gets to that in the very next verse. The rich man. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because everybody's thinking, what this guy's doing is dishonest and it ain't right. And the boss is going to be ticked and the boss should be ticked. This ain't right. So he says, the rich man. And you can imagine, now just think. If you were the rich man, think how you, could be, how you would feel. And if you were sitting in Jesus' audience and you hadn't heard this story, what do you think the rich guy's thinking? The rich guy's ticked. He's got to be. He's losing cash. He's bleeding money right now because this guy's just giving it away. He's forgiving all the debt. Exactly. So the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And Jesus, always the master storyteller, everybody, you know, they're just, everybody's leaning this way. And all of a sudden, Jesus drops that, and they all go, oh, yeah, wait, what, what just happened? Like, what, what just happened? He had to admire a dishonest guy for being so, he had to praise him. He had to applaud him. For what? For being dishonest? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he admires him for being dishonest. It says he, he admires the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. That's what's being admired here. Now, shrewd, just we're all aware of this. In the Greek, it's phronimos, and it means practically wise. It means sensible. It means intelligent. It means prudent. It doesn't mean dishonest. We know that the dishonest man was shrewd. The dishonest man was wise and prudent, and right? He's, he's thinking ahead. He's thinking ahead strategically. He's thinking about his resource, money. What am I going to do? I, I can't dig ditches, I, right? I, I'm not going to beg. Right, so now I go back to the verse and it says he had to admire, he had to applaud, he had to praise the dishonest man for being so wise, so being so prudent, so, for being so strategic, for thinking ahead of the game. And so one thing that you should just stop after you read that verse, that the dishonest guy gets admired. Because, because in Jesus' stories, just so you know this, in Jesus' stories always, and when you read a parable of Jesus, one person always represents God in his stories, and one person always represents the people in this audience. One person represents God, one person represents you. One person represents God, one person re would represent me, would represent anybody who's watching online. The rich man here is God. God is saying, I'm admiring this guy for being shrewd, for being wise, for being prudent. So what does this tell us right off the bat? Well, it tells us this, that Jesus sees money differently than you and I see money. Like, we're not saying exactly what yet, but you should know this. God sees money. Jesus sees money different than you and I see money. He's thinking about it differently. Right? Okay, so Jesus is going to start to wrap this up because we're all a little confused. We're all a little stymied right now. And Jesus says, 
And it's true. This is going to be a truth, everybody. This is a truth that he's telling us. Jesus is telling the story that the children of this world, the children who live their life based on the values of this world, the people who value what this world says is important, the people who are bought into the culture and live their lives, and their lives are shaped by the values of this world, right? It's true that the children of this world are more shrewd. They're, they're wiser. They're, they're more prudent. They're thinking ahead more strategically in terms of dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. In other words, people of this world whose values are shaped by the culture, they oftentimes are more effective at dealing in this world, with this world, than are the children of the light. The children of the light are those who call themselves followers of Jesus. Oh yeah, Neil, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. I've surrendered my life to Jesus, right? He's saying the children of this world deal in this world more, 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 more wisely, more, more, more prudently, right? And then Jesus says this. Here's the lesson now. When Jesus says, here's the lesson, I'm just telling you. Some of you are old enough. Raise your hand if you remember the E.F. Hutton commercials. Okay, if you're too young to remember E.F. Hutton commercials, they were awesome because it's a busy world and there's this party and it's a cocktail party and people are walking around and there's someone with a tray or everybody's sitting at dinner. There's just conversation going, conversation, conversation. And they're all talking, chat, 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 chat. And people, two, two people, they'll, they'll hone in on their, on their kind of conversation. Remember this? And, and the one person said, well, my broker says to do this, and, and my broker says to do this. And the one person would always say, well, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton says, and the, word, the whole room just drops still, and everybody in the room goes. You remember that? Because this is the, right? This is the E.F. Hutton moment in this parable. Jesus says, here's the lesson, and everybody goes. Like, just lean in, just lean in, just hear. Because Jesus is going to explain, this is what this is all about. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is the point. I'm getting to the point, finally. He says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources. Now, i got to stop you. That phrase in and of itself tells us a great deal about what God actually thinks about money about your talents, about your earthly treasures. That statement right there tells you this. He says, use your worldly resources. What does that tell you? That your money, your time, your talent are resources and they are a means. It tells you right there because you use means for an end. He's saying, use your worldly resources. Translation, your worldly resources are simply a means. That's what they are. They are not the end. They are the means. Use your worldly resources. They're a means to benefit others and make friends. That way, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to, here it is, that's the end game, everybody, an eternal home. Means, end. Money, talent, time, anything you possess is a means. It is not the end in itself. Money is not an end. Money is not an end. Listen, using a means for an end is what gives a means meaning. Let me say it again. Using your means for an end is what gives a means meaning. Think about this. You got a billion dollars. A billion dollars, everybody. That would have significance, yes? Okay, now you bury it in your backyard and it never comes out of the backyard. What was the meaning? What meaning did it have? Zero. Right, using it for an end is what gives a means meaning. It only has meaning if you use it as a means for your end. 
Money is a means. Your talents are a means. Whatever you possess is a means. It is not the end. Don't confuse the two. Using your means for an end is what gives a mean meaning. And most significantly, your end determines how you use your means. What's your end game? What's your end game? Because that determines how you use your means. Here's my question for you. What's your end? See, what's your end? What is your end? I know what the end of the world is. The end of the world is accumulate a whole bunch of money, buy the nicest stuff, validate yourself, show, how, show everyone how successful you are. They will esteem you. They'll want to be your friend. You'll be more popular. You're, you're going to look cool. That's the end game of the world. My question is, what is your end game? See, what is my end game? What is your end game online this morning? See, how do we think about money? Money is a means. It is not the end game. The end game isn't, you know what, I'm going to accumulate as much as I can so that when I hit 65, I'm going to retire and sit on a chair on a beach. That ain't our end game. I got nothing against the beach, everybody. I got nothing against it. But it ain't the end game. We're, we're, we're old enough, we're starting to have those conversations. What will we do when we retire? What will we do? Because it ain't about sitting on a beach. Not when you surrender your life to Jesus. What will we do? Now, I'll tell you this story, and I've told this before, so some of you may just say, hey, second verse, heard this before. Uh, Kimmy and I, in our early years of marriage, when we were first married, this was one of the small, small, small uh, uh, this was, I'd say, fairly small, but it was one of the tensions that was in our marriage because we thought differently about money. And I've told you this a million times. Uh, I, my father had never been to church until he married my mother. Never been to church. He wasn't a man of the church. He didn't grow up in the church. And even when we were little kids, certainly not. But when I was in the first grade, my brother was in second grade. My sister would have been in fourth grade. When we were that age, first grade, second grade, fourth grade, got my first allowance. Right? I negotiated for more, but my father said a buck a week. That's what you get. You get a dollar a week. I was like, right on, this is good, a dollar a week. And my father said, here's the rules. First 10 cents goes in the Sunday school basket. My father, not a man of God at the time, didn't know Jesus, had never been to church. But he said, you get an allowance, first 10 cents goes in the Sunday school basket. Here's the rule. You don't have to put that 10 cents in the Sunday school basket. You just won't get an allowance. So we always put our 10 cents in the Sunday school basket. It's just real simple, 10%, that's what we did. And that just stuck. We got paper routes when we were little kids, 10%. Got my first, my first actual job. I was 13. I was washing dishes at a restaurant late at night. I was in junior high, right? 10%. Went to college. I was uh, loading UPS trucks 10 to night to 2 in the morning. 10%. Got out, of, got out of school. Got a job. Had a business. All that. 10%. Right? So Kimmy and I get married. We get up one of the first mornings. Now we're married. Now we live together. We get up one of the first mornings and we're going to church. And I said, hey, would you do me a favor? Write out the check for the offering. And she said, okay, how much do you put in there? I said, we always do 10%. We just, that's what we do. We do 10%. Well, th these were in the days, and some of you not, may not believe me when I say this. You actually used to get a paid check. They would hand you a paid check. Some of you remember that. That's, yeah, right? It's like the wheel, then fire, then the paid check. <laughs> and it was written out. I said, it's 10%. That's what we put in. She said, oh, wait a minute, 10%? I said, yeah. That's what we do. We've done that every Sunday since. That's what we do. Now, we give online today, but I'm saying our first 10% goes to the church. 
Now we invest additionally. We invest additionally on top of that, over and above our tithe, we give to kingdom builders. We have mission. I don't say this to brag. I'm just saying this is what we do. I, there are many of you who do far more. We have missionaries that we support personally, some from this church, right? Why? Because our money is not the end game. Our money is a means to an eternal end. That's the end game. We're, we're, store, we're building a mansion. We're building a mansion. We're storing up for the future. That's what we're thinking about. The future ain't this life. Listen, how many of you know your money doesn't last forever? Do you know that? Guess what? Neither do you. You're only going to be here forever. Your money ain't around forever. Neither are you. What are we investing in? What's next? The future. That's why this guy was being admired by Jesus. Because he was making the most of his limited time and his limited opportunity. And I'm just saying, followers of Jesus, are we doing the same thing? This is what God wants us to think about money. Let me tell you just one, one last story from the Bible. I'll get to this just real quick. Many of you know the Apostle Paul. You know the name Apostle Paul because we talk about the Apostle Paul. He wrote so much of the New Testament. And sometimes we forget this, that the Apostle Paul in his early days hated Christians. He hated Christianity. He was actually killing Christians. That was the Apostle Paul. He was a kid. He was one of the halves. He lived on the right side of the tracks. He went to private schools. He went, had the best education. Gamaliel was the greatest rabbi of the day. He had the best education. He was a half. He would have the cool clothes. I mean, he was a half. And then one day, he had a radical encounter with Jesus. And it changed his life forever. It changed his perspective. It changed all of his thinking. He actually spent the rest of his life traveling around the Mediterranean. He gave up everything. Dude gave up everything. First Corinthians, he tells us, man, I was shipwrecked four times. He says three, but it was, there was another one that would come. He was shipwrecked four times. He says, I've been beaten. I've been whipped with a cat of nine tails, thrown in prison, ultimately gave his life, was killed for his faith. Why? I'll tell you why. Because the end game was not this life. And so he spent everything, his whole life, just making sure that other people would come to know Jesus. See, that's the end game. It ain't here. This is limited. Your money isn't going to be here forever, and neither are we. Right? So Paul, that apostle Paul, now he's got a young protege. We know that on at least two occasions, he wrote letters to that young protege. The protege's name was Timothy. We have 1 Timothy and we have 2 Timothy. Those are letters from Paul to Timothy, giving him instruction. He's a young pastor. Hey, brother, here's how to pastor. Here's how to teach. Do this, do this. And Paul's encouraging Timothy. Here's what he tells him. Here's how to teach Timothy. Here's what to teach. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Don't we know that? Money, see, money promises everything and performs very little. In the end, right? He says it's so unreliable. Those people, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Paul goes on, he says, tell them to, here it is, use their money. What is Paul saying? It's a means. Money is only a means. It's a means to an end. It's not the end. It's a means to an end. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Then he finishes, he says, buy doing this. In other words, here's my conclusion. 
if they'll do that, if they'll see their money, if they'll use their money, if they'll use their time, if they'll use their talents, if they'll see them as a means, if they'll do that by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. True life, that word in the Greek means this, yes, here, but more, more importantly, it, it refers to the afterlife. Life in heaven, store up treasures for the afterlife. Your money, your time, your talents are only a means. They're not the end game. So let me give you the big so what if you knew every week. It's kind of a bummer because if you'd have known this, if you come here, you know we do big so what. You can actually sleep the whole time and then just wake up for this. Here's the big so what. Your temporal treasures are a means, that's what they are, to an eternal end. See, that's what they really are. Here's your big now what. Get your report in order. Remember what he told the guy? Hey, you're going to be, right? Get your report in order. Take a look, you gotta know everything's going on. I'm telling you, I think we should all get our reports in order. Maybe it'd be valuable to, for you to look through a check register. Go online, look at your check register. Where do I spend my money? Where does my money go? What am I spending it on? What am I investing in? Am I investing in an eternal end? I would say this, maybe you should look at your, your, at your uh, daytimer, right? Look at your outlook. Where do I spend my time? What do I spend my time doing? Am I investing in an eternal end? Or am I just kind of about me in this world? I would say, take this inventory, man. Where do you use your talents? If, you don't, if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have spiritual gifts, fact. That is a fact. Scripture is very clear about that. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you should be going to next step three. Next step is always right after the service. Today will be next step two. Next Sunday will be next step three. You should be going to next step three. We do a spiritual gifts assessment. You can find out, oh, if those are my spiritual gifts, how would I use those? Question, where are you using your gifts? Where are you serving? Right? I just get your report in order. That's what I do. Take a little inventory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you that you've blessed us. You've certainly blessed us, God. We've been so blessed. I pray, Father, that we would have an appropriate perspective on what our money is and that we would use it appropriately. I pray that we would use it appropriately, God, for your glory, for our eternal end. God, would you change our hearts? Would you make us aware? Would you open our eyes?